everybody and welcome to the subtle storm thank you for joining me today i know it has been quite some time since i've uploaded and as always i'm so appreciative of all of your patience with me life has definitely been shifting and changing it's a big transition period and i have been non-stop talking about in the podcast how to have patience for yourself and allow yourself to rest and to be patient in general <laughs> go through where you are and so I appreciate that those narratives have been accepted and open to but today we're back and I want to talk about a little bit well (laughs) I guess it makes sense in this context and my personal experience um we're talking about caring about what people think of you and don't be scared it's not that harsh of a topic as you may think So caring about what people think is actually completely natural. (laughs) It's completely natural for us. I mean, you think about um, how we develop as humans. We are literally looking at other people for approval, for our needs. We are relying on other individuals to create who we are. There's this quote that basically says... um, You cannot be attractive without somebody perceiving you as attractive, which is very explanatory, I think, in this regard. You know, we literally look towards other people to understand ourselves. Um, Our experiences, our knowledge about self and other things are really shaped by other people. And those shapings from other people allow us to make our own decisions later. Um, but there are still, I mean, we get constantly swayed by media. I mean, I'm thinking it in simple terms. Um, we're swayed constantly by other people. <laughs> and so we look for other people for understandings of ourselves. So within that context and that literal physiological and psychological happening that is so innate to us, you'd think that, you know, when we're trying, we're uncertain about ourselves or we're curious or we're trying to maybe develop a further self-concept in some ways, we're going to look towards other people. It's very natural, and it's not completely negative, even though there's such a stigma about it of like, oh, you, you shouldn't care about what anybody else thinks of you. But, um, but we also have to come to an understanding of we are literally built by this concept, you know, we can't, we wouldn't be able to, um, I think I mentioned it before, there's a, there was a woman who, um, was born in the forest, and she grew up with a bunch of monkeys and other animals, and she never learned how to speak, she never learned how to really interact socially, she really perceived herself as one with the monkeys, like, she did everything, she signed like them, she ate like them, And so her self-concept was completely revolved around another species to which she believed that she was of. And by being in this scenario, she's looking at the other monkeys for approval of her. It's almost like, I mean, you think of like the wolf example. We do still, to some degree, belong to a pack. And so if you are a wolf and (laughs) maybe you don't hunt the same as the other wolves in your pack, the other wolves are going to, you know... I wanted to say dehumanized, but they're not humans. <laughs> so, um, you know, they're going to kind of alienate and they're going to kind of isolate and they might even try to fight. 
Um, and it's, of course, we're not this animalistic, but it's a similar concept as to, you know, we want to be approved and we want to be liked and we want to be accepted and integrated at a, at a nice, healthy way. We want to belong and we want to be able to bond. You know, another thing about, like, seeking outward validation from other people is so that we can form connection. Um, I just had this experience the other day um, at the autometrist. A, l- a woman looked back at me, and I, met- I quoted this to my partner, and I, you know, broke it all down. And it was she. She was older. She I don't know what her personality type was, but she looked back, and she had a, a pair of sunglasses on, and she was like, "Do do, the, do you like these?" I've never met her before. Um, <laughs> it was so quick. And so my hypothesis in that in that instance was one, you know, I was a stranger. My opinion didn't necessarily matter, but I think that it validated her internal opinion. You know, she was seeking approval for her already existent opinion just so that she can feel validated to some degree and there are different personality types that feel this more or less than others but at the same time we all have that regardless it is innate to us as humans and you might be thinking oh there's so many people I know that don't experience this and that is to some degree possible yet even those people still feel that it's just in a very different and less um, empathetic way if that makes sense and not only that, our approval from others and, you know, seeking this from others gives us a higher self-esteem. Like, in that instance with the lady at the optometrist, her being validated in her already existent subconscious opinion, even if it wasn't even conscious in her brain, allowed her to feel higher and more confident in those glasses. She felt like, you know, I can walk around in these confidently and uh, random strangers are going to approve of me. <laughs> Do you see the trend here? I mean, my opinion didn't necessarily matter, but my opinion was so outlandish and so se- far separated from her because I was a complete stranger that I stood for the whole community that she would be interacting with. Thus, you, she can wear them and feel confident. And especially going back to that concept of connection um, we really especially won't, but you know, you can even watch it increase while you're in closer relationships, um, especially parent dynamics, spouses, um, things like that, or friends even, because we want to be in their, like, higher regards, um, as of relationships. We want to feel like we have a community that's also innate to us as humans. We want to feel integrated and close and comfort. And there's comfort in having support in people and in relationships. You know, that is definitely a survival instinct. We are new we were Neolithic and we traveled in groups. And in those groups we had to be able to get along and know that somebody was going to protect us when they got into instances where they weren't actually protected. So doing that, especially with people you're close to, keeps that relationship going and also strengthens it at the same time. When people feel close together, they are more likely to disclose, they're more likely to feel approved, have higher self-esteem, all different things like that that are really soothing to the human mind and, like I said, have that sense of safety and, and comfort there. And within this same concept, we think about parents, usually that urge is so much more heightened and strong to get their approval and to be connected to them. Not only because they were the first people 
to allow us to feel that in general. They also are, especially as we get older, our core wound holders, as I would call them. You know, they maintain a lot of those very deep wounds and you want those wounds by default to be healed by those who cause it or who impose it I I should say because you know um so there's a there's a need there that's also accompanied and usually accompanied by the need for approval and for the need for connection which go hand in hand um and especially the the older you get, the longer the years go by, the more that urge and that need and that desire for approval um, heightens. But it also depends on the personality of your parents, of course. If you have a parent that constantly gives you approval and affirmation and things like that, it might not be that heightened. But especially if you have a parent who is a little bit more perfectionistic and has really high expectations of you, you might be really cautious and heightened about how other people perceive you, especially the person who caused you to be so hyper-aware of how people do perceive you. And there, like, leading into it, there are levels to how much we really do care. You know, we do have an adaptive and natural instinct to care and be curious about how people think of us and are their approval and things like that. But there's also a threshold. There's a threshold for caring too little, and there's a threshold for caring too much. And I also don't like saying too much or too little, but it's the best way to describe it, I guess. Um, when you, you know, feel too little or, you know, desire the approval of people so little that you lack a sense of empathy or um, you're a little bit detached or disinterested, I should say. Um, there is some either psychological, um, defect, potentially, I don't, I hate that word, um, but psychological, um, disconnection towards empathy. Um, there's been studies on that men are technically predisposed for the potential of the lack of empathy. And so I think a lot of the times we do see these traits more in men. Women are ten- are much more likely, This is these are not direct scientific facts, but they are in my recollection, <laughs> memorably. Um, women are much more likely to care about how people think of them. And also society plays a crucial role in this concept. Women are constantly objectified and constantly at the risk um, and at the mercy of um, pa- the patriarchy. And so, you know, that makes you feel a little bit more self-aware and heightened um, and looking for the approval of others. And not only that, there's also cattiness between women, um, the expectation to fit societal beauty standards and things like that. And of course, men do experience that as well. There are unrealistic standards for men as well. But I think that women are on the more intense receiving end of those concepts and on a daily frequent basis. I think for men, it is typically much more relaxed in comparison I will say though um so society does have a really big concept to do with this and I mean society shapes the majority of the experiences that we have as humans or amplifies certain things but I will mention that with those who are a little bit more detached in certain ways there are some um triggers I think 
that happen, and even triggers that happen, but traumas that happen within the family that lead to that, and also genetic predispositions as well. So let's say that you are... Um, which I don't, I don't know if there's complete studies on this, but narcissism, I'm pretty sure I've read before, um, does genetically, has a genetic potential to pass on, um, but not even that, just if you're in the same household, it is quite likely if you're experiencing that. Um, and part of narcissism is, um, I don't, (laughs) I've explained it before, but it's always hard to like break it down a little bit. So one of the biggest things for narcissism is that they've been typically broken down so much within their self-esteem, like told your horrible child, horrible things like that, so much that they have to develop a protective mechanism to break them away from that cycle or whatever the what causer is. But the typical concept is they're they are so dissociated from like their concept of empathy. Because they were ne- they've never received empathy, they've never received um, care and things like that. So a lot of those things that you learn in childhood on how to react and interact normally with other people is kind of pushed away a little bit and very deep below. So they've had to develop this coping strategy of disconnecting from other people's feelings so they don't get hurt. So they don't, and by default... On the outside and in their conscious brain, they aren't worried about other people and their feelings or what they think of you. But at the very deep level, especially that inner child level, they care extraordinarily much about what they are thought of because that's all that they've heard in life. And that's why I think when, you know, you get a narcissist in particular worked up, they get to that core level and they feel criticized by everything that you say because that's all that they've experienced, especially in childhood. And like I said, those child, as I talk about every time, those childhood wounds really set you up completely. Maybe not completely. You know, you do have our own individual experiences, but they shape your mind in such a way that those things affect you very deeply, especially over longer periods of time. And... On the contrary, there are those of us who are over-analytical. And I don't even like saying over, because we're all just where we are, and it's okay to be where we are. Gentle, loving reminder of that. Um, Those of us that have heightened those levels of caring um, about how others approve of us or think of us, um, it is either genetic, it can be um, psychological, or, you know, passed on to the parents, which always has some type of thing to do with it, whether you were criticized to some degree, um, maybe told to be perfect, um, society as well. I mean, I think about, um, I, there was a period of time where I wasn't working for a while and constantly it was a narrative of like, you know, everybody else works, everybody else is doing this. Where am I in comparison? What would people think of me if they knew that this was happening? Um, And also the concept of society. Society doesn't, like, accept um, people not working and not being on hustle culture time. You know, especially in the United States or Western culture, it is not promoted to be in a relaxed state. (laughs) We want to be constantly working. I mean, capitalism is the name of the game out here. Um, In places, I I think there are certain parts of Europe that have a four-day work week, um, to promote the liveliness and um, 
livelihood, I mean, of workers and allow them to have better um, incentive. And in the United States, we don't do that. <laughs> kind of just wear people out to the bone. And so, you know, that's a narrative that's portrayed and encouraged. So you think about how that impacts our brain and how it impacts our perception of how, one, the government will see us. That's at a subconscious level, I think, usually. Um how our community will see us, how our peers, our parents, things like that are going to view us as indifferent or lazy or all those other things. Um, But anyway, so there's also in a really intense anxiety, I think, that comes along with that, whether you have been had traumatic experiences and have a default anxiety um, or whatever the case may be. Maybe this is your way of anxiety. I think social anxiety is a really big contributor. But the actual specific diagnosable psychological word for this debilitating fear of approval is allodoxophobia. And it doesn't, it's not always contributing to a mental illness, um, but it can, like this um, reference says, it can lower your basic competence in ordinary tasks, such as making decisions. Which is so debilitating, like I mentioned, it's very difficult to work with. Um, And so I mean, so are both sides, really. Um, and, you know, that, that controls your ability to really function around other people. You're constantly concerned with how much people care about what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're thinking. And it causes you to be in this kind of, like, freeze state. And it's very challenging. It's not comfortable. And so in those moments, um, we really have to be mindful of how things are impacting us and boost our self-esteem and our confidence in different ways that allow you to be more grounded and centered and acknowledging of the ways that, I mean, people will always have an opinion of us. I mean, especially within the same concept, we feel like we're trying to look for approval of others. Therefore, we are having concepts and opinions about other people. And that's just the way the world works. Like I said, you can't be attractive without somebody else finding you attractive. And you can't be unattractive without somebody else finding you unattractive. And either of these are okay. Like we always, you know, preferences and things like that or taste different um, things like that, types, whatever. Um are subjective and that is something to always keep in mind is that that one opinion or multiple opinions do not define who you genuinely actually are and are not yeah they're not they're not defining to who you are nor are they your own opinion the biggest opinion that matters the most is our own (laughs) and yeah taking back that control taking back that that voice out of your head or not even voice because you can't just remove it you have to just work with it but taking out the voice that says that their opinions define you. Because it's not that it's un-okay to consider other people's um, opinions and feelings. I think that's perfectly fine. But it's more about, I think, acknowledging the fact that people are going to have those opinions, whether you like it or not. And all that we can do to heal that or work with ourselves with it is to acknowledge that their opinions do not hold the weight of our self-esteem or do not or aren't significant enough for us to really consider as genuine or or definite. This is easier said than done, though, mind you, especially when it comes to parrots and things like that, especially where those core wounds are, maybe even an ex or things like that. And another thing is to not try to read the opinions of others. 
that's a difficult one, I think, for me, for sure. And I think for a lot of other people, you know, we try, especially when we're concerned about it or we have anxiety in general or even different core wounds, which I won't get into <laughs> in this moment. Um, but yeah, I think that certain things will spark that. You wanting to read their body language extensively, uh, especially for highly sensitive people. We want to like read and understand what's happening so we can know that we're protected before anything blows up <laughs> or anything like that. Um, but also we have to remember in those moments when we watch ourselves that we can't mind read. We can't, you know, know exactly what somebody is thinking or feeling in that direct moment. Especially in relationships. Let me tell you, you'll never be able to read somebody's mind. The best thing is to communicate. And even if you don't think there's somebody to communicate with, it's a great time to practice your boundaries and your communication. <laughs> But yeah, and I think there's other ways to build build confidence and self-esteem, doing things that you feel confident in, and even exposure therapy within this concept. Going out places, wearing things you wouldn't normally wear, and just saying, I'm going to be me today. I don't care. Um, like I said, it's easier said than done. And there's always going to be certain instances, just like communication, where you can't always communicate the best in every scenario. You might be really good in one and then really poor in another. And same thing with this. You might be really good going around and you're going to your family's house and wearing whatever you want and not caring too much. But going to the movie theater wearing that might be a little bit too much for you. And you've been trying that a couple times and it not being good. And you just know that's absolutely not the place for me. That's okay. Accept that. And yeah. I think another thing is always looking into where we are. Um, or where we've come from and things like that that have shaped us so that we can further understand who we are, how we are, where we are, why we are the way that we are. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's never about learning to care less. It's learning to control and understand your feelings when they come up, where they come from, how to work with them and how to accept them. We don't ever need to control or care less because the way that we care is absolutely okay and okay to be where you are it's okay to care about what people think it's not as abnormal as you expect <laughs> i hope that this was informational and helpful for you i will try to be back either next week or the week after but don't worry you will be hearing from me thanks so much namaste <laughs>